right, had a great evening last night, a lot of fun. I so appreciate First Baptist Church in Elkton allowed us to use one of their blow-ups, and it was a fun for the kids there uh, to get in there and, and jump around on that. Anything to tire them out, amen? Isn't that a good thing? There we got kids just to tire them out. Luke chapter 17 is where we're in this morning. Luke chapter 17. Uh, today is Halloween, but I'm not going to wish you happy Halloween. I don't really celebrate that holiday, so we'll just leave that alone. But I had a, a joke I wanted to tell you I thought was uh, very telling. The doorbell rings and a man answers it, and here stands little Johnny in a suit. Says, trick or treat. The man uh, gets the bowl of candy ready and says to Johnny, he says, what are you dressed as? Johnny says, I'm dressed as an IRS agent. And then he takes 35% of the man's candy and doesn't even say thank you. In America, our work ethic is different than that of much of the world. We don't just work to live, we work for perks. We want regular bonuses, we want appreciation awards, we want yearly raises. Now, this new generation has introduced another term into the workplace that uh, I managed, uh, was manager of an auto parts store for years, and I'm glad I didn't have to deal with this, a mental health day. You ever, if you ever, if you supervise, you ever take a call from somebody who just needed a mental health day? Uh, nothing wrong with them, not sick, just stressed out, need a mental, I don't know, I'm sorry, I just get stuck on that, I can't believe that, but uh, that, that wouldn't have flown when I was in the workforce, but we want uh, that expense count, we want that company car, having a job and a paycheck really just isn't enough anymore. Now that same attitude seems to have crossed from the secular world, as it usually does, into the church world as well. Just the fact that we're saved from hell, that we're on our way to heaven, really isn't enough anymore. I'd better get a pat on the back on a regular basis or you're not going to get much out of me. I think everybody should recognize that I should be a teacher. I would like it to be tastefully noted somewhere that I'm the best giver in the church. As the singer that I am, I ought to be able to sing a solo any time that I want. My wife and I have been here three weeks. I should have some kind of leadership position by now. Now, the list could go on and on, but you get the picture. Now, this brings us to a really difficult passage that I want to look at today. I'm just forewarning you, not difficult to understand, difficult to swallow, difficult to... to uh, this one steps on your toes just a little bit today, so I just want to forewarn you, and I'm not mean, okay? I'm just giving you what the Bible says, so don't blame me today. You can't get offended at me today. We're just going to give what the Word says and try to bring it out. Uh, it's not hard to understand, but my, oh, my, does it shatter the illusion of your own greatness when you look at this passage. Because, you know, we think we're pretty good. One day God was looking down at the earth and he saw all the wicked behavior going on. He called one of his angels and sent him to earth to take a look. The angel went down and looked and he came back and he said, Yes, Lord, it is bad on earth. In fact, 95% of the people are bad. Only 5% are any good at all. Well, the Lord considered and he sent a second angel to get another opinion. The second one returned and says, yes, it's true, the earth is in decline. In fact, 95%, as the first one said, are wicked. Only 5% are 
are doing good. God, of course, is displeased, and so he decides to encourage the 5%, get a hold of them. And, of course, it being the modern age, he uses email. He wants to encourage them, inspire them to keep on keeping on. You know what the email said? I expected in this crowd at least one person to be part of that 5%, but I guess none of you are in that group, okay? Uh, we, we are not as good as we expect sometimes, amen. That's just a joke, guys, okay? He didn't really send an email. Let's get into the word. Uh, verse number 7 of Luke chapter 17. But which of you having a servant plowing or feeding cattle will say unto him by and by when he has come in from the field, go down, go and sit down to meet? And will not rather say unto him, make ready wherewith I may sup and gird thyself and serve me till I have eaten and drunken and afterward thou shalt eat and drink? Doth he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. I preach today on, the non, on non-profit servanthood. Non-profit servanthood. Father, I pray you'd help us now. Bless the reading of your word. Help us to do justice to what you have for us today. And help us to accept whatever your word says On our behalf, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Jesus has just told the disciples in the verses prior to this, really quite an amazing thing. We call it the, we understand the mustard seed. He said, if you had faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you might say unto this sycamore tree, be thou plucked up by the root and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. Imagine that. Uh, kind of faith. Imagine if you had that kind of power available to you. Well, we do. The Bible says so. But imagine with that kind of power, it might give you a big head. And then Jesus follows it up with this devastating illustration here that he gives next. Now, Jesus is not here focusing on the spirit in which God deals with his servants. He is focusing on the spirit with which we should serve God. He is not talking about what God thinks about our work. He is talking about how we should regard our work. That's what he's referring to in this passage that we read. We see, first of all, the position of the servant. And it's a lowly one. He says in verse 7, Which of you having a servant? Now, the word servant comes from the Greek word doulos, and it means bond slave. Uh, This servant was under the complete authority and the dominion of his master. His life was not his own. His life was his master's. Jesus' listeners would very well understand the position of the servant in this story. Their master certainly would not, the servant's master, would not feel indebted because his slave served him or did for him. He would not feel indebted to him as this shows. Now, Paul calls himself a bond slave of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. And that is a right attitude about our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ has absolute authority over us. Uh, He is our Lord. Now, this is not an idea that is popular in today's day and age. Man likes his autonomy. We like to make our choices and go our own way and do things our way, but uh, it is vital for us to understand if we're going to serve God well at all, he is our master. We are his servant. Now, look at the scale of service here, verses 7 through 8. (laughs) talks about him plowing. 
feeding cattle. When he's come in from the field, gird thyself and serve me. This servant is a jack of all trades, you could say. He plows, he feeds cattle, then he comes in and he serves and, and prepares meals to his master. This it really illustrates the extent of our Christian service. We should be willing to do whatever God has for us to do. Whether it's uh, quitting a job and going to a, a foreign state and starting a church, or whether it is whatever God has for you where you are, we ought to be willing to serve Him. That does not mean that everyone is employed in the same work. But I do believe everyone is employed in the work in some form or some manner. This, by the way, is where the local church comes in. This is why it's so vital to be part of a local church body so that we can serve God through that local church. By the way, the local church is God's way of operating in the world today. He does that, uh, he, he does that so, that's so clear throughout Scripture. 1 Corinthians 12.12, 12, uh, that's your memory verse for this week. For, by the way, uh, it was mentioned in Sunday school this week that I'm picking difficult verses. If your child can learn the movie Frozen and say it from beginning to end and quote it, you can learn a couple of Bible verses. Amen? You can do that. But here it is. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. We are part of the body. Different parts of the body have different jobs. My fingers do different things than my eyes do, which do different things than my ears do. And so we all have different jobs, and we have different abilities. Did you know that you are able to do something better than anybody else can? God has specifically gifted you. He has a purpose for you, and then he outfits you for that purpose. I like how one preacher put it, God doesn't tell you to ride without providing the horse, amen? And so he'll provide the abilities for your job. And, and sometimes as we grow older, our, our, uh, uh, these things change. We're not as physically able as we were before. But there are many jobs to be done in the service of God, and no servant should be without some duties and ought to be busy in the will work of God. Be willing uh, whenever God calls on you. So grateful for the servants and the servant heart hearted people within this church made nights like last night possible. Uh, wouldn't happen any other way, and so I'm grateful for that. Then look at the number two, the perspiration, not only the position, but the perspiration of the servant. Service is not easy. Nowhere in our text are we led to assume that serving God is easy work. Sometimes we're going to have to endure a little sweat. Hardness, uh, the, the work is hard. People will usually be willing to help do things around the church if it's easy. But when there's hard work to be done, there's less people available to do it. Uh, if you just wait around for the easy work of God, you're never going to do much for God, friend. It's just not going to happen that way. Uh, don't, don't be a piano stool Christian. Now, what's a piano stool Christian? Well, if you ever see anybody move a piano, there's three types of people. There's a person that gets behind the piano and pushes and uh, puts kind of the massive amount of effort into it. The person in front of the piano is pulling and he's directing and guiding the piano. The third one picks up the piano stool. Don't be a piano stool Christian, all right? Get involved. Be willing to get involved in the real work, the hard work, and it's sometimes not easy. God's business will not succeed without some hard work. Sometimes God's work is inconvenient. Sometimes it's difficult. 
and difficulty keeps people from serving, doing what they ought to do, being where they ought to be. Few people come back on Sunday evening. Even less people come back on Wednesday evening. Uh, this just, and I know there's work issues, and I understand all that, but uh, even uh, many churches have stopped having revival meetings because uh, it's uh, every night of the week and so few people will come to them. One of the features of this parable is the long hours this servant had to put in. This guy did not belong to a union. It is obvious as you read this passage. He's working hard all day, working in the field, and then he has to come in from working all day long and make supper for his master. I've got wives in here that are thinking, I know what you're thinking, that's my life every day of the week. But uh, our attention span and our activity span are often very short, spiritually speaking. But if you're going to serve God well, friend, you're going to have to put in some time and some effort. The world does it for temporary gain. The world does it for recognition that will soon fade away. They put hours and effort and, and they'll sacrifice many things to achieve what they want in the world today. Why can't God's people get busy and do something that will have eternal rewards forever and ever? Let's be willing to work for God. Then number three, the priority of a servant. The servant had worked hard all day in the fields. He still was required to prepare the master's meal before he himself could eat. This teaches us about the importance of priority. The master came first. Look at the, the, the promptness here too. It uses the word by and by. It's a little confusing, but the original word for that is euthios. And it's most of the time in the Bible, in fact, 80 times in the New Testament, is translated immediately or straightway. So the by and by, in fact, in Mark, Mark 1.42, and as soon as he had spoken immediately, the leprosy departed from him. That's that same word. So when the orders are given, immediately a servant must obey. He must obey immediately. When God gives orders, we ought to drop everything and do His will. Priority always means promptness. It is important. If, if it is important to you, you'll find a way. If it is not important to you, you'll find an excuse. Anytime God's work is involved, you'll find a way or you'll find an excuse. Procrastination is not priority. It is rebellion. It is disobedience. Now look at verse number 8. You see the sacrifice here. Afterward, thou shalt eat and drink. The priority of service sometimes requires some sacrifice. Here the servant had to wait until his master was fed before he himself could eat. He had to sacrifice his own comforts, sacrifice his own pleasure to serve his master. His own wants and needs had to take a back seat. Now this is difficult for many Christians today. They don't like to sacrifice anything to serve God. People just don't like to do not, not saying that it ever was really popular, but it seems to even more and more today, people don't want to sacrifice to serve God. <clears throat> when they're tired on Sunday morning, it's so easy to just turn around and turn, shut that alarm off, go back to bed instead of getting up and going to church. One mother woke up her son on Sunday morning, told him to get ready for church. The son replied, I don't want to go to church. Nonsense, she said. Get up, get ready, you're going to go to church. But mom, he said, no one likes me. Uh, the sermons are boring. None of my friends ever come. The mom said, listen, son, first of all, not everybody hates you. Some people like you. 
Second, the sermons aren't that bad. If you listen to them, you'd be surprised at how they're helping people. Thirdly, you have lots of friends in the church. They're always having you over to their house. And finally, you're the pastor. You have to get up and go to church. Hey, we all deal with these things, amen? You may be out in the you may have been out in the fields or in the shop or in the store, in the office all day long working, but when you finish your work, you might have to sacrifice some comforts to come to church. Well, I tell you, I've, I've been there. I was many years worked in the workforce, and I know what it's like to come to church on a Wednesday night after you worked hard all day. I know what it's like to make a revival service every night of the week when you're working. The devil will throw everything in your path to keep you from going to church. Everything will come up. We need to make a sacrifice. Maybe uh, you'll head for a church, uh, a church service before you even have time to eat. I thank God for those who do exactly that in our church, making God a priority. Say, it's too much. Can I remind you what He's done for you and what He's done for me? Nothing we can give our Savior is too much. Is it too much to take the Lord's part of our income out first and give it to Him? He gave His all. Let us not give our leftovers to Him. The parable here that we see teaches the master always comes first. Do you keep uh, this priority? If you keep this as a priority in your life, you understand sometimes it requires a little sacrifice. During World War II, a young soldier named Daniel Webster, I'm sorry, David Webster, of the Air, 101st Airborne, wrote his mother, and he said this, and I quote, Stop worrying about me. I joined the parachutists to fight. I intend to fight. If necessary, I shall die fighting. But don't worry about this, because no war can be won without young men dying. Those things which are precious are saved only by sacrifice. End quote. I ask you today, how precious is your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to you? Ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. We need to be willing to sacrifice. We need to be willing to sacrifice our time, our comforts, and yes, even sometimes our resources for the Lord. And then number four, we see the preparation of the servant. He said here, make ready and gird thyself. This shows the preparation that a servant must make. Make ready is the preparation of the scene. Make, uh, gird thyself is the preparation of self. And both of these were important. We see the first of all, the preparation of the scene. Preparation is very important to service. If you teach a Sunday school class, was mentioned a few minutes ago about the teachers we have, don't deliver a Saturday night special. Don't start studying on Saturday night before you teach Sunday morning. Prepare. If we're going to serve God well, we need to prepare to do so. We need to set the scene. Pre make ready, he said. The same word make ready, that, that's translated make ready in our parable, is translated prepare in John 14 too, when Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. That's a blessing, isn't it? Just the same thing we're supposed to be doing here, uh, making ourselves ready. Christ in heaven is preparing your mansion for you. And one, when you get there, it will be ready for you. Now let me ask you a question. What if Christ prepared your mansion in the same way you prepare for service to Him? Convicting question, isn't it? He done went from preaching to meddling. Yes, that's right. It's true though. Some of us would have Amish mansions. No running water, no plumbing, no electricity, nothing. I've lived in an Amish mansion. I don't want to do it again. Prepare to serve. Do it right. Sacrifice for God. Just say no to an Amish mansion. Amen? 
get busy for God. Then there's a preparation of self. Not only does the servant prepare the scene, he also prepares himself. He says, gird thyself. Now, the Greek word means to fasten garments with a belt or a sash. This refers to the, uh, the habit of, in biblical days anyway, of wearing robes and flowing garments. And if a person's going to get busy or get to work, they have to tie themselves something around themselves and make sure nothing gets in the way of their work. They've got to prepare. And this today, we could say this preparing of self today could be formal schooling or even schooling of experience. It involves prayer. It involves time in the Word of God. It involves faithfulness to church. Girding oneself takes some time and some effort. But it is not wasted time any more than sharpening a tool is wasted time are preparing to serve Him. It is time that makes your servant's be- uh, service better. Never belittle your preparation for service. By the way, never resent the preparation God puts you through to serve Him too. You know how many years Joseph was being prepared? Joseph was in school. He thought he was, in, he was a slave, but he was in school. Joseph thought he was in prison, but he was in school. He was learning how to do... He had, he, God was preparing him. He put him in Potiphar's house. What, how, what is that for preparation to live in the palace one day? He's in Potiphar's house like a second to the king. He's learning all the ins and outs of the palace. Then he goes to prison, and guess who's stuck in the cell with him? The baker and the butler. The two closest people to the king who can tell him all of else that's going on up there in the palace. He's being prepared. He just didn't know it. God's preparing you too. It might come through trouble. It might come through trial. It might come through difficulty. And you don't know what God's preparing you for. Later you'll be able to look back. I have, and maybe you have in certain points of your life as well. And you see the trials that you were going through. Now you can say, ah, I see now why God has me go through that. Maybe you won't see it till you get to heaven. Just trust him. He's preparing you. He'll prepare you. Number five, the pay for the servant. The servant did not serve for nothing. He did receive something, and I want to look at the lessons in this real quickly. We saw the promise to pay afterward, thou shalt eat and drink. The servant's pay consisted mostly here of food, clothings, and, and lodging. Now, true, the parable in our, or the ser- servant in our parable here had to serve the master first, but he did not go without a meal himself. He was promised that he would eat in due time. Now, the Word of God has much to say about God's reward to us in service. Do you remember what Moses thought when he uh, had to make that choice? He became to years, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter or enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God, for he had recompense to the reward. Uh, those, uh, it's interesting, you look at that and you see Moses had to choose between all this pleasure or misery. No, no, he didn't. Moses had to choose between pleasure or pleasure. That was his two choices. The pleasure of the sin for a season or had recompense to the reward. So he had, he had to look at the pleasure that was short term, pleasure that would end soon, pleasure that was fake and false and wouldn't last, or pleasure that would last forevermore. That was his two choices. Same two choices you have in front of you today. And uh, God will not let his people work for nothing. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You ever wondered if serving God was in vain? Be honest, you probably have. 
especially as you see the wicked around us prospering and the religious people around us suffering. But God's promises never fail. He says, thou shalt eat and drink. Secondly, the patience for the pay. Verse uh, 8, the key word there is afterward. Afterward, thou shalt eat and drink. The servant had worked all day, but he still had to wait afterward. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36, ye have need of patience that after, after, after ye have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Afterward. There's an afterward for us as well, and patience is required for that afterward. Sometimes the afterward means you have to wait years to see the results and the fruits of your labor. Sometimes the afterward might mean you won't see them until you get to heaven one day, but we will see the rewards for our labor. Anyone who's ever raised kids longs for the afterward. Amen? The reward of all the labor. This life may not provide much reward for our service. Not for God anyway, but it'll be worth the wait. No one pays better interest than God. I can promise you that. Do not be discouraged if your reward doesn't come quickly. It may be delayed for years, but it will eventually come. Afterward is not forever. Afterward is just a delay. Look at the preference. The servant here, verse 8. Again, make ready wherewith I may sup and gird thyself and serve me till I have eaten and drunken. The servant is not to worry about pay. He's to worry about performance. While waiting for his reward, don't miss this, the servant is to occupy himself with his responsibilities. Oh, we need this so much today. <clears throat> if this, and this lies the key of serving God faithfully and successfully. We have to focus on our responsibilities, not our reward. We are to concern ourselves more with our duties than we are our dividends. We ought to concentrate on our work more than our wages. Our problems begin. In your Christian life, your problems will begin when you do the opposite. When you put more focus on what is due you than what you do. Okay? When the, when the focus turns inward. Uh, when you concern yourself more about the rewards than the responsibilities. That's when you have conflict in the church. That's when you start to play the comparison game. That's when you're looking around, making sure nobody's doing more than you are, that you're not giving more than anybody else is. You want to make sure that everybody's doing their part. It's where it, this not only corrupts character, it also will hinder your service to the Lord. Self-focus. Number six, we see the praise for the servant. Now we come to the lesson. And like the doctor says, this is going to hurt a little when we look at this, but it's good for your character. By the way, you ever notice that all unpleasant things in your growing up years were good for your character? I used to hate to hear that. Dad, I have a blister. Blisters build character. Man, Dad, I'm cold. Cold builds character. Everything I hated in life built character. Well, it must have worked because look at all the character I have. Uh, we see, we see in the, the lesson here in this parable, it's not going to be pleasant. I'm forewarning you. It's not pleasant, but it'll build our character if we listen to it. So let's not miss it. Look at the lack of praise. Doth he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not. Now just to get this clear, he's saying I think not. The word trow is only translated trow here. It's translated 33 times in the New Testament as think. I think not. The servant did not get thanked for his service. Since thanking is a form of praise, 
where we can say also the servant did not get praised for his work. To some that read this, this lack of praise might make God seem like a mean master, never saying thank you, not praising him. That is not the lesson here at all. Remember what I said in the beginning. This is about our attitude about our work, not God's attitude. Let's get that, remember that. The lack of thanks in this parable teaches us that we ought to serve no matter whether we get praised or not. The scripture plainly tells us that God treats his servant well. All right, don't, you, you look through the Bible and look at it as a whole and you'll see there's no question that God doesn't treat his servants very well. No one treats their servants better. But we must learn in this life to serve and be faithful whether we're praised or not. Service is determined by duty, not by recognition. We need to remember that. How many Christians have quit serving God or even quit church because someone frowned at them? Or someone didn't show them the appreciation that they felt they deserved? Those who quit serving because of a lack of recognition will never serve well. Uh, one who has to be praised constantly to keep serving. First of all, they'll not be right with God. Secondly, their service is not going to be acceptable to God. Very few uh, are willing to serve God today in spite of criticism. Now think of a vast difference between the Christians of our day right now and the Christians of the past, the New Testament and on. Let me give you just a few examples. Peter and Paul, both martyred in Rome about 66 A.D. under Emperor Nero. Paul was beheaded. Peter was crucified upside down. Andrew brought the gospel as far as to what is now known as Ukraine, and then he was crucified in Greece. Thomas was most active in the east of Syria. He died as he was pierced through with the spears of four soldiers. Philip is said to have a powerful ministry in North Africa. He converted the wife of a Roman proconsul, and the proconsul was so angry at him for that, he had him arrested and then killed. Matthew, the tax collector, was stabbed to death in Ethiopia. Bartholomew was a missionary to, the, to India and Ethiopia and Arabia. He was murdered in 68 AD. James the Lesser was stoned and then clubbed to death. Simon the Zealot, a minister in Persia, was killed after refusing to sacrifice to the sun god. Matthias, which was Judas Iscariot's replacement, you remember, he went to Syria with Andrew and he was burned to death. John is the only one that did not die of, uh, of, he died natural causes of old age, but we see he went through tremendous persecution too, including being thrown in a vat of boiling oil in Rome and then banished to the Isle of Patmos. And we quit because someone doesn't talk to us at church. Someone criticizes the way we do something. Shame on us. Shame on us. We're soft and we're spoiled. Let's just be honest about who we are. Serve God. Be faithful. Because it's right. Not because we get praised or patted on the back. Or pampered. Amen? That's what the Bible says. It doesn't get better, but just buckle up. Okay, we're going to keep going. The lack of praise. Verse 10. We have done, or we have only done that which was our duty to do. Now I know that in our day of participation trophies and no score sports that we live in, Doing our duty seems like a cause for praise. In fact, we ought to get a trophy for it. But that this text here raises the standard for us here. It says that even when we've done all the things that are commanded, 
We're nothing special. We've not done anything to profit. We're still non-profit at that point. Perfect attendance, nothing special. You remember that when you were growing up in our church, we would sometimes our Sunday school uh, would run this promotion where we would go for perfect attendance, and I got a couple awards a couple of times, uh, uh, papers that said uh, for the quarter or for the uh, six-month period or for the year, I had perfect attendance. What if you were able to say, I've been to every service in 2021 at Bible Baptist Church? Nothing special. I mean, that's what the Bible says. That's expected. Hey, when you've done everything that you're commanded to do, when you've done all these things, you've just done what you're supposed to do. You're still a non-profit servant. Doesn't that hurt? I mean, we want to be, we want to be uh, recognized for this. And I, to- I told you this would be difficult, all right? I warned you. It's not easy. But let's just give the Bible its due. Look at the confession here, the lack of praise. Say, we are unprofitable servants... We have done that which is our duty to do. This, this statement, first of all, is, is humbling. It's humbling to confess we're an unprofitable servant. This humbles us, even though we're busy doing what we feel uh, is pleasing the Lord. It stops all boasting. The word translated unprofitable means this, useless in having rendered no service beyond that which was due. So we really... You understand when it talks about unprofitable, we, if, we, if we do everything we're supposed to do, that's just breaking even. Not profitable yet. In a business, if, you make, uh, if your income exactly uh, matches your outgo, you're not making any profit. You're just breaking even. And so that's what this principle is here. If we're doing everything we're supposed to do, that means reading your Bible every day like it tells us to. That means praying. Pray without ceasing. That means forgiving others uh, the way that Christ forgave us. That means being kind to those around us. That means being faithful to God's house, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And we could go on and on. We do all those things. We would stamp ourselves super Christian. We'd put a pin on ourselves because we are doing everything and we are Mr. Awesome Christian. But the Bible says we're not even profitable if we do everything we're supposed to do. That stings, doesn't it? Well, let's keep going. A modern illustration is April 15th. If they don't change it ten times, you're expected to pay your taxes. Now, if you pay your taxes, and then you go out to the mailbox, and you stand there and you're waiting on your thank you note from the IRS, you're going to be waiting a long time. You know why? Because, yeah, thank you. That's your duty. That's what you're supposed to do. We've kind of accepted that in our nation. We pay our taxes. That's a cost of being a citizen. So what do we do? We pay our taxes and we, f- we try to forget it. We don't always forget it. We try to forget it. We don't get thank you for it. It's our duty to do that. Secondly, it's honest. Saying you're unprofitable is at best is being honest. Boasting always exaggerates. Sometimes it's just a big lie, but... It always exaggerates. And if I've said it once, I've said it a million times. I hate exaggeration. Amen? But the admission here is honest. It's honest. It tells the truth. If we do everything God tells us to do, we're breaking even. We're still non-profit servants. Then thirdly, it's helpful. When we admit that we've only done what is our duty to do, well, it does many things for us. It's helpful in many areas. First of all, it helps our attitude in a huge way. 
As I said before, when we start to focus on everything I'm doing, we're looking around. Corey didn't do it as much as I did. I was here before him, and I left after him. And then you're, you know what I'm saying? You think this is, you think that's petty? This happens all the time in churches. Comparing and, and writing no, uh, look, looking at notes and comparing this person did less than I did, and I did more here, and I'm not getting the recognition for it. That'll change all that when we recognize, when I do everything God tells me to do, I'm just breaking even. I'm not doing, I mean, you're tithing, you're doing everything God says, and you're just, you're not even profitable yet. It'll change our attitude and change our boasting and, and uh, help us to look toward the serving God rather than boasting on ourselves. One of our problems as we serve God is complacency, self-satisfaction. This will motivate us to work harder and do more for the Lord. As a child of God and His servant, let's have the right attitude in service. There are two extremes that we need to avoid in the Christian life. Number one, doing our duty in a slavish way because we feel like we have to. We should avoid that. Number two, uh, the other extreme, doing our duty only because we hope to gain a reward. By the way, can I point to someone who did both of those? The older brother in the prodigal son story. He slaved away. I've been working here this whole time and you never do me a party. He slavishly labored and he also hoped that he would get some reward. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with the reward. Again, Moses had his eye on it. But that, if we keep our job, I mean, we need to keep our eye on our responsibility, not on the reward. God takes care of the reward. It'll change our spirit. What then is the proper attitude for Christian service? Ephesians 6, 6. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Boy, if we could get that down, amen? Not with eye service. I'm not doing this to please Brother John. I'm doing this to please the Lord. Not with eye service. And a great way you can test yourself. When you do something for God, does somebody have to know about it? Do you have to tell somebody? Do you have to? I try to drag testimonies out on Sunday night, so I'm not discouraging a testimony, but does that come out in a testimony? You know, i got to let people know what I'm doing. Uh, are we able to just do it for the Lord and leave it at that? That's a good test. John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. To the child of God in 1 John 5, 3, he says his commandments are not grievous. Man, if you think serving God is hard, you ever tried serving the devil? That's really hard. That's really difficult. And so don't ever, don't ever get caught up saying how serving God is that difficult. Serving him is a delight. It's not just a duty. We obey him because we love him. Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do thy will, O Lord. Yea, thy laws within my heart. See, the, here's a mistake we make. We get upset when we don't feel like we're getting our due. There's a, there's a big misunderstanding there. Because we'd better be thrilled that we're not getting our due. Do you know what our due is? You know what you deserve and what I deserve? We deserve eternity in hell. That's all I deserve. I don't deserve anything. God doesn't owe me anything. I'm a sinful man. You're a sinful person. God doesn't owe us anything. If we got what we deserved, we'd be in serious bad shape. And so this parable here, this parable does not say that God does not praise and reward his servants. That's not what this is saying. What this parable does say is we do not get rewards because we deserve them. We get them because of the grace of God. We need to remember that. In fact, the fact that Jesus will reward his servants is altogether a matter of God's grace. Your home in heaven, God gave you that because of your, uh, his grace. 
You don't deserve heaven. None of us do. None of us can earn heaven on our own. If you're trying to go to heaven today because of the way you live, you're going to fail, friend. Nobody's good enough to go to heaven, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So none of, it's His grace. And the rewards of service are because of His grace too. God does not owe us anything. The blessings that abound in our life as a result of obedience are not deserved. The Bible talks about crowns as part of our reward in heaven. We have the incorruptible crown, the crown of rejoicing, the crown of righteousness, the crown of glory, the crown of life, the crown of raising kids. Actually, I added that last one, but it should be in there. Amen? Uh, but what, is that, what happens in Revelation chapter 4, verse 10? If you read that, you'll see that the 24 elders that represented the church, uh, they took, you'll see what they did with all those crowns. They received all those crowns and they cast their crowns at the Lord Jesus Christ's feet. They said, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor. You see, friend, when we see God properly and we see ourselves correctly, then we'll know I'm not deserving of any praise. It all goes to Him. I'm just a non-profit servant. That's what I want to be. Serving a great master. Will He reward us? Absolutely. Will it be worth it? Absolutely. But let's not get hung up on that. Because as long as we get hung up on what we deserve, we're going to be a miserable, miserable servant of God. That'll help? Amen. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed.